Hey, this is Pastor John Ryan Cantu from Numa Church in Houston, Texas. Thank you for listening to the message today. I hope that it blesses you and all those that you share it with. God bless you. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. Amen. It's good to be in the house of God this morning. Everybody feeling, feeling good, feeling blessed? Amen. Praise God. God is good all the time. Amen. Amen. Man, we, uh, we, had, a, we had a beautiful men's gathering uh, last night at Brother Larry's house. We had about uh, close, close to 40 men there. And uh, singing, men, men just, men singing and men praising God, men, men uh, showing their feelings and uh, getting vulnerable in the presence of God. That's a beautiful thing. And, and we have received word and we know that it's true that God is doing something in the men of this house. Amen. He's raising up priests in this house. And so I want to encourage you to be a, be a part of what God is doing in the men's ministry um, get, get connected. We, we, we want to see, we want to see every guy at, at these men's uh, gatherings. And uh, I also just want to give you a date. I know we talked about it last, last week, but I want to get it. I want to get it in your calendar. Um, we're having a men's retreat, men's retreat, May 19th and 20th, right? That's, that's right, brother David, All right? May 19th and 20th. Uh, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be going away and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to leave the wives for a little bit, leave the kids for a little bit. And somebody say, Amen. Dang, the, the wife said amen louder than the men did. <laughs> uh, so, man, I, I want you guys to, I want you to, to, to join us for that, that event. It's going to be awesome. And we're just going to, we're going to have a time with, with the Lord and, and we're going to fellowship with one another. So um, you can speak to Brother David. He's back there if, uh, if you're interested in that. Um, also, I want to make, I want to make another announcement that's, that's very important. Um, you know, we're a church that has, has long been trying to, for the past two years, make connections within the community because a church that isn't involved in the community, uh, what, why is it there? What, why, why is it there? I heard somebody say one time that if you remove the church from the community and the community didn't notice, how sad would that be? And so we have been trying to make different connections with uh, with, with, with community members and different partnerships. And, and we have a chance to really serve our community. Um, April 29th, um, there's this event called One Day Houston. They actually did something like this in, in Los Angeles a few years ago. It was a, it was a massive, massive event. And they decided to bring it uh, to Houston where we're going to be, we're going to be serving the, the church of God is going to be serving Houston. Uh, we have over 50,000 people that are going to be joining on this day. And Numa is, is choosing to be a part of it. Amen. And so we're going to be partnering with, uh, with our, our, our school that we have adopted. It's a middle school, uh, Navarro, which isn't too far from here. And, um, we're going to be doing like aid distribution. And so we need volunteers for this day. Um, I, I would encourage you to, to really get connected and, and, and David and Rachel, they're right here. Raise your hand, David, Rachel. Um, they're, they're the ones kind of leading this, uh, this event and we're going to be, ha- they're going to be having on Tuesday, they're going to be, there's going to be a zoom. Uh, if you're interested, they'll get you registered and they'll talk kind of all about the, the event. Um, and so you can see them after service, 
um, to, to, to talk more about that. Amen. But I, I, man, I want us to bring a good group. Amen. I, I don't want to show up and there's just like a few of us there or, or the leaders just there or the pastors is there. Let, let's be a church that serves this community because that's what it means to be the church. Okay. If you're coming just to get fed and you're not, fe- Ooh, I'm going I'm to start preaching another word. If you're coming just to get fed, fed, but you're not feeding what's been given to you, that's a problem. And so take what has been deposited into you by the Holy Spirit and share it on this day. Amen. Amen. I get all riled up when I talk about that stuff, man. Amen. You have your Bibles this morning? Amen. I want you to go with me to the book of Joshua. Joshua, we're going to start in chapter 21 of Joshua. Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible right after Deuteronomy. And uh, we're going we're gonna to read a little bit this morning. We're going to be going kind of all around scripture this morning, if that's, if that's cool with you. Um, the whole book of Joshua, if you read it, it's about God fulfilling his promise by giving his people their inheritance of land. God, has, uh, God had promised the forefathers of Israel that he would make them into a nation and that they would possess a land. And so all of Joshua is about the people of Israel fighting for that promise. If you, if you read through the book, you'll notice it's kind of a violent book because it's a book of conquest. The people of Israel had to go in. They had to drive out the people that were living in the territory that God had reserved for them. And it kind of made me think that sometimes, you know, the process of getting a promise is ugly. It's ugly. It doesn't come without a fight. It doesn't come without, you know, some casualties. And sometimes you lose some friends and you lose some sleep and, and you get stressed out because doing the will of God can be stressed, stressful, I'll tell you. Um, and that's really the book of Joshua. God is sending armies of Israel here and there uh, to, to completely destroy nations and, and not take anything from themselves. So it's, it's, it's a violent book. It might even make you a little bit uncomfortable when you read it because the, this, this God that we call good is telling the people of Israel to destroy nations. And we think to ourselves, well, how can a good God uh, decree that? And, and uh, God is, like, like we just saying, God is always doing something. God is always up to something. And sometimes we don't, realize what he's doing in the moment. Sometimes it doesn't make sense to us, but God has a purpose for everything that he decrees. Do you, do you believe that? You have to believe it because if you don't believe it, you're going to start to convince yourself that maybe God isn't good. Maybe God isn't present. But if you know, if you know, and you have faith and you trust in your God who is good and is faithful, that no matter what comes your way, no matter how dark the night gets, no matter how ugly the process is, God is working because he has a plan and he has a purpose. And so we get towards the end of the book of, of, of Joshua, and this isn't my main passage, but I did want to read it just to kind of bring some encouragement to your life. You can go ahead and stand up. Um, Joshua 21, 43. I'm going to keep you standing for a little bit. Is that all right? And then, and then, you, can, and then you can sit down. But Joshua 21, 43 through 45, it says this. It says, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Praise God for that. Amen. That, that, that God will complete his promises. It might get ugly. It might take a while. And you might spend some time in the wilderness, but 
But God is faithful. Amen. Where there is a faithful generation, where there, where there's a, where there's a godly generation. See, God had to wait for the Moses generation to die out because the Moses generation proved themselves to be afraid. They, they didn't have the courage. They were filled with fear. Joshua's generation was filled with courage. They were strengthened in their courage. They were mighty. They were men of valor. Uh, the, the Joshua generation, they feared the Lord. The people of Moses' generation, they didn't really fear the, uh, the Lord. They were making carven images for themselves. But it was Joshua who told uh, uh, his fellow generation, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? I, I, I believe that, that God waits for the proper time and the right people to fulfill his purpose. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I pray, I pray very regularly, God, I want to be found in your favor because I, I want to be a part of what God is doing. I don't want God to be waiting around for me to die so that the next guy who's willing and obedient can do what I was supposed to do. I want to be a part of what God is doing now. And God will pass over you if you are unwilling, if you are not obedient, if you are not faithful, if you don't fear the Lord. But where there is a faithful generation, where there is a a generation that fears and hungers and obeys the voice of the Lord, he will use you. And I want to get to our main text here. Joshua 23, 1 through 13. If you have it, you can say amen. Amen. It says, a long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years. Joshua summoned all of Israel, its elders and its heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off, from the Jordan to the great sea in the west. The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight, And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you. I want you to pay attention. This is our our key verse. That you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord. Someone say cling. You shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to withstand before you this day. One man of you puts a flight a thousand since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them, that you associate with them... And they with you know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord your God has given you. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. I pray that as you have spoken it over me, my God, that you would speak it to your people this morning, my God, that you would open up our hearts, you would open up our minds, Holy Spirit, and that you would be on my lips this morning, Father. I pray that this word changes and convicts somebody's life this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you can be seated. Amen. My my title this morning is a little little R-rated. If you have any kids in here, 
Just be warned. It's called sleeping with the enemy. Sleeping with the enemy. If, if Old Testament Israel is known for anything throughout history, it's sleeping with the enemy. Samson did it. Samson loved foreign women. Loved them. Solomon did it. First Kings 11 says that his heart was turned away from God because of his love for foreign women. Ahab did it with Queen Jezebel, the worst of the worst. Israel was known for sleeping with the enemy. So much so that God decided one day to, to send a, a, a harlot to marry the prophet Hosea so that he could reflect what Israel was doing to God. That, that I love you unconditionally, but you're over here sleeping around with everybody else. And the Bible says that God is a, a jealous God. He's not an envious God. There's a difference. He's a jealous God. I think my wife spoke about this once where she said uh, that jealousy, it can be a good thing. There, there's, there's, there's a bad jealousy which kind of falls more into the category of envy, um, but there's also a good jealousy. The good jealousy comes when something or someone draws attention from what belongs to you. If, if someone is after your, your wife and her attention is drawn to you, bro, you better get jealous. I hope you get jealous, men of God, because she belongs to you and vice versa. Jealousy is supposed to ignite action. It's supposed to make you alert. It makes you cautious because you don't want anything taking what belongs to you. If your girl is out there and she's flirting with someone else, man, and you're like, oh, it's all good. I'm, I'm not the jealous type. It's all good until she's sleeping, she's sleeping with them. Jealousy is supposed to trigger something good. It's supposed to awaken something and, 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 and cause you concern because something that belongs to you is messing around with something else. And that's the Lord. He's a jealous God. And he's re- repeatedly reminding his people throughout scripture, I am yours, you are mine. I am your God. You are my people. That's it. I don't give you a pass. We talked about this once. This is not an open relationship. I am yours and you are mine. Don't play with, don't associate with, don't talk to the enemy because then your heart may be turned from me. And this is what God was telling his people. You know, the Israelites, they, they were in a season of success. They were conquering nations. They were taking their land but there were still there were still some remaining nations uh, that remained. The, the, the work wasn't completely over yet. And um, man, there, there was a lot of pa- when I was preparing this passage, uh, uh, this sermon, there's a lot of places that I wanted to read from. I, I had thought to read from Joshua 24. If you have some time later, man, read Joshua 24, one through 14. Um, you know, the, the, the latter part of Joshua is really just Joshua gathering up all the tribes of Israel, all the people of God, and he's reminding them to stay faithful. And Joshua 24, Joshua, he, he gathers all the assembly and he kind of gives them a history lesson. And he starts all the way from, from Abraham and he recounts all that God has done for his people from Abraham to the present. He's looking back and he's saying, look, this is the result of God's faithfulness. We, we're millions of people now possessing the land that God promised our forefathers. And it's all because God was faithful to his promises. Sometimes, sometimes you have to, sometimes to see the faithfulness of God, church, you have to, you have to go back in time. You know what I'm saying? Like to, to, to really see 
the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, you have to look back. And we don't, we don't want to do that because we want to see, we want to see God's faithfulness in real time. You know, if, if we don't go back in time, sometimes we won't, we won't see the faithfulness of God right in front of us. Um, we had our monthly prayer uh, meeting yesterday and I had a lot on my mind, man. I, you know, there's a lot, lot to pray about. And you ever feel like you're just praying the same prayer over and over? Like it's just, here I come again with the same prayer of God. And that's good because we're supposed to pray with, 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 with uh, persistence. But, you know, sometimes I'm like, God, I mean, here it is again, you know. And those are, sometimes it can be very discouraging and you can kind of feel stuck because you're praying the same prayer with no response. And so towards the last, you know, 10 minutes of the, uh, of the prayer meeting, I just, I, I began to remind myself of everything God has done in my life. And it brought me to tears. I said, God, thank you for my salvation. Thank you for saving me because you didn't need to save me. I don't, I, I, there was a possibility that I could not be here today, but because of, of your grace, because of your love, because of your mercy, you gave me salvation. You invited me into your kingdom and I don't deserve it. Thank you. Thank you for my beautiful family. Thank you for my girls. They are the joy of my life. Thank you for the roof that I have over my head. It's so much more than a lot of other people have. Thank you for my church. Thank you for using me in your kingdom. Man, when when you start to remind yourself of all the ways that God has been faithful, it reignites your faith. And that's what Joshua was doing in chapter 24. He was reminding the people of God of all that God has done so that they would remember God's faithfulness. Sometimes you have to look back to see God's faithfulness. We don't always want to look back. We want to, we want to see it in real time. But many times what God does in real time, it doesn't feel like much of anything. So, so you have to go ahead to then look back in time and realize, man, God was at work the whole time. That's just the way that God works. That's the nature of faith. It's hard to have faith when nothing is going the way that you're praying for it to go. But if you remain faithful through it all, you eventually realize, man, God was at work. That's, that's another sermon. But Joshua is reminding the assembly of what God did for them so that they didn't forget to stay faithful to the faithful God. And you know why he had to do this? There's a reason. There's a reason that Joshua gathered all the people And told them, remember the faithfulness of your God. Remember it. It's because Israel was in a season of victory. The promise had already been delivered. They were already in their land. They were overtaking nations. Their enemies were losing. The the end of Joshua, it says that the people went into their, every man into his own inheritance. It's It's like they lived happily ever after. And it's in those seasons of victory or after the victory's been won, that so many people either fall away from God, or they get distracted, or they get too apathetic, or they no longer hunger, they no longer seek the Lord the way that they were seeking him before, they get bored. After God does that big miracle and there's nothing much left to see, people start to lose their fire. It happens over and over and over again. God did something great in your life, and you expect it to happen again the next day. And when God isn't performing for you, you start to lose that fire. When God isn't speaking as frequently as he was speaking last year, when God isn't moving in the same way that he moved last time, when the miracle is done, you already received your healing, the marriage is already restored. 
after the victory, that's when people start to get bored and distracted. And so Joshua says, don't forget. Don't forget. Remind yourself every day. Wake up giving God thanks. This is why it's so important to wake up in gratitude, man. Because if you wake up in anger, if you wake up complaining about something, you're going to forget the faithfulness of God. You have to wake up every day and remind yourself, my God has been good. It's good. It's been a bad week, but my God is good. It's been a bad day, but my God is good. And so I, want to, I just want to extend that to, to somebody here this morning. Maybe you find yourself in a similar moment. Maybe last year, man, you saw the glory of God come over your home, and it was just blessing after blessing after blessing, and now it's kind of died down a little bit. Maybe God did something amazing for you years ago, and it's been a while since he's done anything like that. You know, when people get saved, it's so obvious that they're saved because there's such a radical change. There's so much excitement. They're so full of joy. They want to come to church. They want to come to every event because they're hungry. But after that initial high is over, you come down. And can I just tell you today that God is not a drug. He's, his job is not to keep you high. His job is not to keep you happy all the time. But remember what God did for you. Remember what he took you out of. Remember where you could be right now in the grave. Remember, remember that he removed you from the, the trespasses of your sins and he gave you life in Jesus. Remember that. You ain't getting it today. Remember. Remember that. Because I'm, I'm worried that, that a year from now, I'm not going to see a lot of the same faces that I see here today. Because, because churches, they go through, it's like, man, we just recycle people all the time. Because people come in in a moment where they need God, they receive God, they have the victory, the victory's over, they get bored, and they go out. You have to remember, you have to constantly remind yourself of the goodness of God. So the Bible says that the people of Joshua's generation, they remembered the goodness of God and they served him. And if we go to the very next book, Judges chapter two, verse 10, it says this. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. So what happened? How is it that a godly generation can give birth to an ungodly generation. This happens very often. I mean, you'll, 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 have a, you'll have a godly man whose children are just wicked. And you're like, what the heck happened there? You know, there, there's, this, there's this man who has, a, he has an apologetic ministry. Apologetics is, is defending the, the, the Christian faith. And so he debates atheists and, and uh, he has this, this whole ministry. It's a beautiful ministry, a, bi- a very big ministry. His daughter's an atheist. And it just makes you wonder, what happened? What's what's going on? How can a godly generation birth an ungodly generation? Don't think, don't, don't, don't think that just because you're you're godly, you're gonna produce godly children. There's, There's more to it than that. You know, if I raise my children right, there's a good chance that they'll serve the Lord. If I, if I bring my children to church and I keep them in good company, there's a good chance, not a perfect chance, but there's a good chance that they'll grow up serving the Lord. So what happened to the Israelites? I want you to go back to Judges chapter one. I, I told you we're going all over scripture this morning, but stay with me. Chapter one of Judges, 
We're not going to read the whole portion of it, but I, I want to give you an idea of what happened here. Why was a whole nation of people lost after a very godly generation? What happened? So the, the Lord told uh, the tribes of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel, right? He told the, the tribes of Israel to drive out the Canaanites from the land. He says, I want you to destroy them, defeat them, take their land. Do, do what you got to do. Take them out. And sometimes we're like, God, why you got to be so mean, right? Like they're good people. They're all right. They're not bothering anybody. Why, why cause them harm? God knows what he's doing. Can I just tell you, God knows what he's doing. If you're trying to have a moral argument with God, you're probably wrong. Okay. Uh, so, so, so this is what happened. Look at what happens. Verse 19 of chapter one, it says, and the Lord was with Judah and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Look at verse 21. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Look at verse 27. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Ashin and its villages for the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. Look at verse 29. And Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites live in Gezer among them. Look at verse 30. Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants. Man, there's such failures. They did not drive out the inhabitants, so the Canaanites lived among them. But they became forced to, uh, subject to forced labor. Now, Joshua, uh, I'm sorry, Judges chapter 2 opens like this. Now, the angel of the Lord went up to Gilgal of Bochum, and he said, I have brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare to you. This is what happened. Joshua's generation loved the Lord. They served the Lord. They worshiped the Lord. They went in, in, in confidence and courage, but they snuggled up with the enemy. They flirted with the enemy. They slept with the enemy so that by the time the next generation came along, the ungodly influence of this pervasive uh, pagan inhabitants influenced so much this other generation who didn't know God. And so it caused this new generation to abandon God and worship their gods. You ever heard of the, of the phrase, um, I know him by association. You know, you, you might not have a relationship with somebody directly, but you know him by association. I know a lot of famous people by association. I'm famous by association. Right. You know, the same people, you're connected to the same people. You have the same group of friends, you have the same interests. That's 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 knowing somebody by association. And I think that what happened in Joshua's generation, it, it, it preaches to today's generation where you have people in the church who don't have a relationship with the devil. But we know him by association. We're into the same things. We're, we, we follow the same people on Instagram. We listen to the same music. We watch the same movies. We, we, we think the same thoughts. We may not be sleeping with the enemy, but we sleep with the friend of the enemy. 
And can I tell you that, that just like God wants to have a relationship with you, the devil wants to have a relationship with you too. And it's not, it's not so that he can hang out with you. It's not so that you can have fellowship with the devil. It's so that he can get close enough to you to, to, to kill you and destroy you and take you away from the plan that God has for you in the kingdom of God. He wants to have a relationship with you. But the devil knows that the people of God don't want anything to do with the enemy of God because we're Christians. And so he presents himself as a friend. He presents himself as harmless and innocent. He presents himself as someone who has no control. You've got all the control, baby. I'm just here. You got this. The Bible says that that Israel, they kept these nations as captives. They were in control. They didn't drive out them completely. It's okay, though. We're, We're in charge. We got control. Israel thought to do to the Canaanites what the Egyptians did to them. Forced labor, slavery. That's not what God commanded. God said, drive them out. God said, get them out. Destroy them if you have to. But do not dwell with them. Do not keep them in your company. This, this happened a little bit later uh, with King Saul. When King Saul didn't obey the Lord, right? To, de- uh, to devote to destruction the Amalekites. Saul brought back some of the best of the Amalekites. And when we read stories like this, the first question that we get is, why, why did God order the killing of nations? That's, that's evil. That's not Christ-like. But, but the reason that God did it was because he didn't want the enemy influencing the people that were called to be set apart. God knows, what, God knows that what we associate with brings influence. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that, that, that when two people get married... Over time, they begin to think a lot like each other, right? They're like identical. Sometimes they even start to look like each other. You ever notice that? It's kind of weird. Are you a brother and sister? All right. (laughs) But, but, but when you get married to somebody, you begin to, you begin to think like them a lot. And that's because when you associate with someone and you live with them, you know, a certain culture is created that's meant to accommodate every party. Man, uh, your spouse has a, has a huge influence on the way that you think. I've known people who have changed political parties to the, to, to the party of their spouse. I've known people who have changed denominations. You, used to, you grew up Pentecostal, oh, but I married a Baptist <laughs> and vice versa. It, who you marry, it has such a huge impact um, on, 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 on how you think. But even more so, your children. And Joshua's generation, they were strong enough. I want, you to, I want you to get this. They were strong enough in the Lord to not have their hearts turned away by these pagan nations. But you know who wasn't? The next generation. There might be some things that you allow in your midst, church, things that you associate with that maybe have no power over your life. You might not fall into sin when you hear a worldly song. That might be true for many of us. You might be able to watch certain movies or shows and you're not phased by it. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt your faith. You might, you might even have a sip of wine at dinner and you're like, I'm good. I'm in control. But hear me this morning. The fire that you play with still has the power to burn others. Maybe you can control it and not be burned. But not everyone who plays with the fire will walk away unharmed. 
So be careful. Be careful of the fire that you're exposing other people to. Joshua's generation, they, they weren't influenced by the pagan nations who dwelt in their, in their land. But, but the next generation was. I'm, I'm willing to bet that, that jo- some people in Joshua's generation, they, they were able to have some conversations with the Canaanites about their religion and about the way that they think and their other gods that they serve. And at the end of the day, they walk away full of faith, full of love for the Lord because they're not phased by other gods. They're not phased by another religion. But then that generation died. And the next generation who didn't really know what God had did starts to speak with the Canaanites and has these same conversations and ask questions about their religion and ask questions about the way that they think and ask questions about their God. And because they don't know Yahweh, they begin to be influenced by the Canaanites. Even though Joshua's generation wasn't phased by it. You know, curiosity, what is it? Curiosity killed the cat. A lot of times, curiosity, it just wants to open up more doors. Where people, where people want to begin exploring things that have the potential to kill them. And so I, I want you to hear this, man. There, there is power in things that have no power over you. There is power in things that have no power over you. Be, be careful of what you keep in your company. Be careful of, of who you keep in your company that has the power to attack those who don't have the same maturity of faith as you do. Maybe the enemy knows you, man, woman of God. He knows you. And he knows that, that, that you won't tolerate the devil. May you stomp on the devil. You hate the devil. You rebuke the devil. You cast out the devil. But maybe he knows that you know him by association. And maybe he knows that if he, maybe he knows that, that he can't have you, but, but maybe he can use the things that you associate with to introduce himself through it to the people around you. You hear what I'm saying this morning? Yeah, I, I can, I can listen, I can listen to to music that you know has no power over me. I love music. I'm I'm a musician. I enjoy good music, artful music. I, I appreciate music as an art. Um, and you know, I don't I don't really consider um I don't really I don't listen, I don't listen to secular music, but I don't consider it a sin. And that might not be true for you. But if you were to ask me, that's what I would tell you. I don't think secular music is a sin. Especially if, you, if we're talking about NSYNC and Baxter Boys, right? <laughs> yeah, you already know. I am the sixth member of NSYNC if they only had asked me to try out. Or Boys to Men, man. Boys to Men. If they ever needed a little bit of diversity, you know, like a white Mexican, I am their guy. But I'm not going to let my daughter listen to Boys to Men, bro. No. Absolutely not. Layla, Layla, she's a lot like me. She, she appreciates good music. She likes classical music. She likes rock music. I got her into to Skillet because that's like the only good Christian rock band ever to exist. And we went to a, we went to a Skillet concert. And, and, and there's, a, there's a lot of artists and there's a lot of songs that I think that she would really enjoy and appreciate. But as a dad... I have to be very careful about what I expose her to. Because what happens if she listens to a secular song 
And then she wants to explore the music of that secular artist. And then that opens up another door and she wants to explore music, the or genres that, of that secular artist. And she wants to explore all of this type of music that has a negative, negative message and is harmful and evil to her. You have to be careful of what you allow your children to watch because maybe it's innocent to you and it has no power over you. But, but if they're exposed to it, maybe they get curious. This is, this is why we have to guard our children from everything that they watch. And my wife is, my wife is all into like those plugged in movie reviews and, and show reviews because she wants to know everything that goes on in a show that she doesn't know about. This morning, she sent me a, a, a text message, a, a screenshot where, I don't know, it was like this little kid's show, but there was like, was it ducks? It was like two gay ducks. <laughs> and I was like, we can watch that. We're not into duck shows or anything. <laughs> but we can watch that, and we're good, you know, like. That's, that's not going to spark any type of curiosity in me. But as, as a child who might not really know what that is, might start asking questions. And God forbid they ask the wrong people those questions. God forbid they start to ask people at their school those questions. And they get this influence into their lives because we, we didn't guard them from it. You have to be careful what you expose the weaker ones, it could be your children, it could be anybody else. Two, the Apostle Paul talks about the weaker brother, the weaker sister. Our conscience as believers needs to be always edification. Edification. What doesn't build isn't edifying. And if it's not edifying, at the very least, ask yourself, does this have the potential to tear down? What you allow in your midst, church, that is exposed to the people around you, it could have a negative effect on them. And sometimes we wonder why, why are our our children not serving the Lord? Why isn't my husband serving the Lord? Why isn't my wife serving the Lord? What have you brought into the house? What have you allowed to be exposed to them that is influencing them? You have to remove certain things from your midst to have success. The Bible talks, it's in Joshua as well, this uh, this man named Achan. Achan, the the Israelites, they were being victorious and they were were driving out all the enemies of of, of the land away. But then they get to a, they get to this little, they have this little setback where this man, Achan, he's been stealing, he's been keeping some of the goods for himself. He's been stealing it and he's been keeping it in his tent. And God says, I want you to remove Achan from the army of the Lord because he is causing you to lose. Sometimes the simplest things, the things that you say, it's, it's innocent, it's nothing. Those are the things that keeps you from advancing to where God wants you to go. Keep it, take it out of the house. Men. You want to have a a, a guy moment with your son and you want to put in a a rated R movie and there's some, there's some things in there that your son shouldn't be watching, but you want to be a cool dad. And so you don't turn it off and you just let it run. Maybe that doesn't do anything for you, but man, man, that will open up a, a world of curiosity for him. 
for a young boy who wants to see more of that and starts asking questions, how can I see more of that? And that brings bondage over his life because of what you exposed him to. Be careful. Be careful of what you expose others to. Be careful what what you associate with. You hearing me this morning? Over the course of, of, of the next many centuries, Israel struggled with serving other gods. That was it, man. They struggled. They were, they were tied to it. They were in bondage with idolatry. Because the generation that was godly, the generation that, that did fear the Lord, there's so many good things to say about the, 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 the generation of Joshua, but they kept their enemy close. What are you keeping close? Judges 2, 11, 12. One more time. It says, And the people of the Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. And they went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed to them. The word Baal. Anybody know what it means? It's not just the name of a Canaanite false god. The spirit of Baal is a very real thing today. Baal means owner. And you know how we said earlier that God is a jealous God? Because we are God's creation. We are made in his image. And so when something, when you have a spirit that wants to claim ownership over what God created for himself, it makes God jealous. It makes God angry. I'm going to have the worship team come up. And there is a generation, there's a generation of people who belong to God, but they are giving ownership rights to something that is not God. And so I think that God is trying to tell us today that there are certain things that you need to drive out of your home. There are certain things that you need to drive out of your mind, out of your heart, the way that you speak, the way that you think. You have allowed certain things to take ownership in your home. I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you have allowed bitterness. Some of you are bitter. Some of you are angry. Some of you are hateful. And you've allowed it into your home. Be careful. Be careful because that, that spirit will begin to have an influence on others. Sister Paola, last week she, she, she came up here and she talked about forgiveness. Some people have invited that spirit that holds grudges into their midst. And maybe you say, oh, it's not that bad. I'll be okay. But what is it doing to the people around you? Those who have invited a spirit of, of negativity to dwell in their midst. And the way that you talk is just always negative. Eventually, it's going to have an effect on, on people's faith. You have allowed things into your midst that are being exposed to people around you and it's opening up doors of curiosity. Be careful what you associate with. Be careful what you keep in your company because even if it doesn't have power over you, it can have power over somebody else. And God wants his people to be set apart. God wants his people to be holy. 
called according to his purpose. Why? Because you belong to him. Church, you belong to God. You belong to the Lord. Your children belong to the Lord. You belong to God. But we have given ownership to things that have the potential to take our hearts away from God. And God is saying this morning, man, drive out, cast out, remove, rebuke. I am your God. You are my child. Stop letting the devil pay rent in your temple. Stop being so angry all the time, so prideful all the time. Stop being so resentful all the time. Stop the gossip. I know it's fun. I know it's entertaining. I know you just got to tell somebody. But your children are hearing it. And it's giving you a bad reputation. And it's telling your children, if that's the way that godly women speak at church, I ain't going to go to church. Stop letting things in your midst. Because what you allow to take hold of you, even though you say, I can control it, the weaker ones can't. What a shame it is for a godly generation to produce an ungodly generation. What a shame. How sad is that? How sad is it that me being so full of faith, loving the Lord, dying and waking up in the presence of God, what a shame for me to not leave a legacy of holiness because I was selfish and I didn't think about the people around me. I didn't think about the things that I was exposing them to. I thought it was innocent, but to them it was cancerous. What are you keeping in your midst? Stop keeping it. Drive it out. Drive it out. Remove it. If it isn't for this godly generation, there's not a lot of hope for the next. It really isn't. Because the world has a really, really strong grip on our young people. It's got a really strong grip on their identities. It's convincing them of different identities. You know how hard it is. You know how hard it is to get someone out of an identity that they've constructed for themselves. All I know is my God-given identity. It's, it's nearly impossible. I, I mean, I would say it's impossible for someone to convince me otherwise. And the enemy has been convincing young people of a completely distorted identity and you have conversations with these people and they don't want to hear it. They think that you're wrong. They think that you're bigoted. It is up to this generation to not associate with the things of the enemy. Drive it out, church. I don't know what it is. I'm, I know I'm being kind of vague this morning. I don't know what it is, but maybe you know. Stop sleeping with the enemy. Stop sleeping with the enemy. You're spoken for. 
You belong to God. Your kids belong to God. Why don't we stand this morning? God, in order to rebuild, Father. Break down walls, my God, that have become rotten, Lord. And I pray, Father God, that you would give conviction in this place, my God, to remove that which does not belong in our homes. And I pray that you put authority and you put power on the lips, my God, of your godly men and women. And give discernment, my God, that we would know, Father, when something has the potential to take away our children, Lord. Men of God, women of God, rise up this morning and begin to remove, begin to rebuke that spirit of bell, that spirit of ownership. God, we belong to you. We belong to you, my God. This morning, I'm going to, before we take communion, I'm going to ask that you come forward this morning. As the worship team sings, and I want to do just a specific call this morning. If God is calling you to remove, look, this this is a very hard thing to do to remove stuff that has roots. But God is calling you to uproot this morning. Take it away. Take it away. Start start committing to something new. It doesn't mean that you're going to fall you're not going to fall. It doesn't mean that you're going to do it perfectly, but but God is calling you to begin removing things that may have a negative influence on the people around you. I was praying this morning, my God, I pray that at the altars it would be a place where we slay. That's what, that's what an altar is. It's, it's, it's a place where you sacrifice. It's where you give a piece of yourself up and you offer it to God. You say, God, I don't need this anymore. I'm giving it to you. And if that's you this morning and you have something to slay at these altars before God, I want you to come forward without hesitation, without looking around. If that's you this morning, just come forward. Come forward. Come on, worship team. I want to ask that you sing this Thanks for listening. If you'd like some more information on Numa Church, visit us on our website at mynumachurch.org. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with your friends on social media and tag us at mynumachurch. Thanks again and God bless.